Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Thanks for listening to Creative Control. Uh, While I have you here, please consider supporting Youth Empowerment and Support Services, otherwise known as YES. Based in Edmonton, Alberta, YES provides immediate and low-barrier overnight and day shelter, temporary supportive housing, and individualized wraparound supports for young people aged 15 to 24. They work collaboratively within a network of care focused on the prevention of youth homelessness by providing youth with the necessary supports to stabilize their housing, improve their well-being, build life skills, connect with community, and avoid re-entry into homelessness. Learn more about how to donate or otherwise support YES by visiting YESS.org. Hey, this is Trevor from Halifax calling in to say that I support Creative Control on Patreon because I think long-form arts journalism is a crucial part of music culture and there's simply not enough of it out there today. Vish is a master interviewer, he lands great guests, and he has his finger on the pulse of the ever-changing music landscape both here in Canada and abroad. For all of these reasons and many more, I think you should support Creative Control on Patreon too. To make your flexible monthly donation to Creative Control, please visit patreon.com slash creativecontrol today. I'm Visha's wife, and I will love him no matter what you do. And now he has me on the record saying that. You counted backwards so Eric Cheneau is a songwriter, guitarist, singer, film score composer, and sound sculptor currently based in south-central France. Initially well-regarded for his role in the excellent and explosive post-punk bands Flight Camp and Life Like Weeds, Cheneau went on to be a driving force in Toronto's exhilarating and subversive improvised music community, co-founding the impressively eclectic label Rat Drifting, and engaging in many collaborations and prolifically participating in recorded works. Since 2006, Constellation Records has released some of Cheneau's most astonishing solo albums, including his latest record, Say Laura, which is available on February 18th, 2022. 
Eric and I connected recently so that he could return to this show to discuss his move from Toronto to France and why he bought his primary guitar in Edmonton, Alberta. The artistic temperament of his dear friend, Ryan Driver. The making of Say Laura and how it was heavily influenced by hip-hop beats found on records by the likes of Gangstar and EPMD. Why we don't hear such beats on Say Laura at all, really, but at the same time we do. The relationship between comedy, surrealism, and improvisation. Harry Dean Stanton, nihilism, Gavin Bryars, and jazz. Future plans, and much more. A part of the Entertainment One Network with the support of listeners like you who follow and subscribe to this podcast and spread the word about it and make flexible monthly donations at patreon.com slash Control. Plus, in-kind support from Pizza Trocadero, The Bookshelf, and Planet Bean Coffee in Guelph, Ontario, and Granddad's Donuts in Hamilton, Ontario. This is the 662nd episode of Creative Control, featuring the lovely and talented Eric Cheneau with your host, me, Vish Khanna. So Hi, Eric. How's it going? Good, Vish. Thank you. I'm doing fine. Thanks. It's nice to uh, speak with you. Uh, first of all, I think I know the answer to this, but where in the world are you today? Today, I am uh, in my studio, which is in a house that is called the Puget, which is in a town called Conda sur Ganave, which is in the region of Corrèze, in what I like to call south-central France though the French do not use this term, but <laughs> geographically, it is south-central France. So. Why, why, why are you in opposition to French custom? Why have you given your region a name that they themselves would not give it? Why is this? It's an ode to hip-hop. Uh, <laughs> to be from south-central France just seems, you know, seems wonderful. Particularly yeah. West Coast hip hop, South Central LA is the illusion. Exactly. Is that South Central California? Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Now, we you've been on uh, this. Yeah. Uh, first of all, I mean, as you know, Eric, we've talked for a long time, many years. Many uh, years. Mostly, you've been in Toronto uh, for those talks, but I think the last time, yeah, the last time you were on this particular iteration of my expression in the media world, it was this podcast, and you were in France. So, how long have you been in France again? 11 years. The last time we spoke, I was in Saint-Ouen, which is a suburb of Paris, where I lived for 10 years. I see. So this is a recent relocation. Why did you relocate? Because uh, it's really beautiful, Vish. Ah. <laughs> it's really beautiful down here. <laughs> oh, nice. Well, that's great. And, and I'm, I'm happy you're thriving. Uh, given the calamity uh, of the world... Do you feel like you're in a particularly safe spot? Have you ever thought about coming back to Canada at any point and settling in? Or are you are you feeling like you're ensconced now? Yeah, I'm home. In fact, I was just back in Toronto about a month ago. And apart from friends whom I have, for better, you know, I have attempted to maintain a relationship I don't feel much of a connection to the city um, yeah. in the way that uh, I did when I first moved from Toronto. So, no, I haven't thought of that. I, I love very much where where we live here. I'm quite happy. We live in the countryside, 
quite the countryside in um, in the forest, really. And uh, so, considering the state of things, uh, we've been very lucky. Where we live, their confinement doesn't really say very much. I mean, you know, we have acres and acres of land. I can go walking. I can be outside. We have a rather large, spacious house. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, we're very lucky considering. Well, that's, um, that's great. That, that's, yeah. that's excellent. And I, I don't know if you know this, but my family and I relocated as well. Uh, and uh, at the end, very late 2019, but ostensibly early January 2020, we, uh, and we're, we are now in Edmonton, Alberta. So we, oh, yeah. where are my guitars from? Oh, your guitar? Which guitar is from Edmonton? <laughs> my Ed- only real guitar, my electric guitar. Oh. My Gibson 175 is from Edmonton. Now, was it a, a used purchase that you made and ordered on the internet, or were you in town? I was there. Oh. I was actually there playing with King Cobb Steely, in fact. Oh. And I walked into Avenue Guitars, which uh, is owned by a friend, owned by a friend of a friend, a friend of Martin Arnold's. And that guitar was hanging there, and uh, yeah, I got it. Nice. That's great. Were you? <laughs> it's were you... been my only guitar for since then, which is about 20-something years now. So you have a soft spot for Edmonton, even as I am like conflicted about our move to Alberta during because of the pandemic calamity. But you have a soft spot for Alberta and Edmonton because of the guitar? You've got it, Vish. A big, a big soft spot. Yeah. <laughs> what about me? What about Indeed. me being here? Does that make it a softer spot, or is this irrelevant? It makes it a lush spot, <laughs> a very lush, <laughs> lush spot. That's nice. It's always kind to hear from you and uh, feel the warmth from you, Eric. I appreciate it. It really does mean a lot. Were you in? I can't recall. Were you playing in King Cobb Steely at the time? I was. Yeah. Oh, okay. Nice. Yeah. It's hard to keep track of everyone. I love that band, but it's hard to keep track of. Uh, all the people who were in it at various points. It, indeed, yeah. yeah. I uh, I think I played in it for about about a year. A, a um, year, okay. Yeah, but maybe more. I mean, I don't have a very good memory. Here's a here's a random um, question because I saw the band quite a bit, but not also. Eh, I shouldn't say quite a bit. I saw them back in that era. What era is this, by the way? Sorry, I don't even know what year roughly. What year was it that you were in that band? Oh my! Now you're hitting you're hitting my um. Yeah, I I, I would just need a moment. I'll I'll think about it while you're while, while I'm you're rambling. Sure, because I I once saw them. It wasn't the first time, I don't think. But the I once mm-hmm. saw King Cobb Steely play a side stage for a giant Beastie Boys concert. Did you happen to play that show? No, I didn't. Oh, okay, uh, uh, sadly, yes, it was great. They 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 performed. Uh, I believe just before R.L. Burnside and. Uh, Wow. The Deadly Snakes played that same side stage. That was the only uh, first time, rather, I saw them. And then, yeah, Beastie Boys and the Tribe Called Quest were supposed to play. Oh. But Tribe right. had to cancel, and instead, Biz Marquee played, uh, performed. And so it was Giant oh, Field. That's... Yeah, yeah. So it was... That sounds wonderful. Was... <laughs> no, I missed that one. <laughs> anyway, sorry. We're all... This hip-hop thing, I think, will come up during our conversation because I'm very curious about... Uh, this new record and its relation to hip-hop based on the biographical information I've been sent. But now that you're here with me, horse's mouth, I want to hear exactly what what has gone on. So first of all, congratulations on this beautiful new album, Say Laura. Uh, This is your first record in, I want to say, has it been four years? Is that the last time you were on the show? I feel like it was. Is that correct? 
It could be four years, yeah. yeah. I know time... When you're in France, do you even notice the time? Time's just moving along. You don't know what year it is. Is that fair? Yeah, you, you notice it. You notice it. <laughs> okay. It's, it'd be, you'd have to be pretty um, nuts. Yeah, sure. <laughs> to not, at the very least, notice yes. it. Yes, okay. So this record, um, I'm going to get to the hip-hop uh, in a moment, but uh, this record is, is primarily you, but it also features a collaboration with your longtime friend and collaborator, Ryan Driver, uh, which, uh, to my knowledge, he's on Wurlitzer. Uh, first of all, is that correct? That is correct. And how did the recording uh, collaboration work exactly? You being in France, Ryan, as far as I know, still being in Toronto. Were you? Did you come here or did he go there? What happened? Neither. We did it by Zoom. By uh, by Zoom, you played together on Zoom. No, no, he overdubbed. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah. I see. I he see. was in the studio of my friend and yours, Sandro Perry. Ah. And they did it. I mean, I didn't really need to be there, but you know, it would have been, it was nice. I mean, because in fact, the notes that I did give him after his first take, he, he failed to follow um, <laughs> and all for the better. <laughs> but uh, there is a uh, radical reticence on Ryan's part sometimes that um, is part and parcel of the charm of his genius. Um, but yeah, we did it by zoom. Yep. And uh, he did two takes of, of both songs, the first and the last, and maybe three of one. And that was it. And we wrapped it, we wrapped it up, wrapped up the session. Okay. All right. So, uh, and does Ryan normally, you, you seem to be uh, resigned to the fact that Ryan isn't always going to listen to uh, any kind of instruction. Does he, has he ever said (laughs) yes, Eric, that is correct. I will do that. Or does he always? Yeah, he says that. And then he does not necessarily do. I'm talking about one very specific thing where I told him to solo. And he he said, um, well, you don't, you can't possibly mean like a real solo. And I said, yes, a real solo. And then he did not. He played something that I suppose ended up being a solo. But uh, I did some very um, micro editing to kind of form a solo. Uh, that was a lot of fun. Now, does Ryan... I know Ryan. I should talk to Ryan at some point, one-on-one, uh, for this particular thing I make, but and I haven't done it yet. But does Ryan do things like that for any kind of comedic effect, or does he just do it because he's Ryan? Because I, I get the sense from him <laughs> that he's a peculiar uh, breed of cat in his own way, but I love him. But he is a little odd sometimes. Do you think he's doing it to be funny? Or do you, does he like the tension of the... Is there humor in that tension of I, I didn't listen to you? Or is it is it just because he thinks he's right and everyone else is wrong? No, absolutely not the later. Um, at least not with me. He's a very open, 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 beautiful musician. Who, and anyone who has heard anything he's done would know that. Um, to be honest with... What can I say? It's not in any way to be rebarbative. To be, it's not necessarily to be difficult unless he thinks that... I, I what can I say? I would say that I, being a a wonderful improviser, as he is, yeah, I don't think he enjoys the pressure of expectation. I think that he would think that the that perhaps the world would be better without it. Is the um, is the pressure of expectation a longhand way of saying structure? No, not necessarily structure, hmm. but I've always thought, and, and, and you know, the, f- the first time we played together was at the Cameron, I believe, Doug Tielli. This was 1990-something. Uh-huh. 
late 1990s. And it was a very, very uh, touching um, duo. And all of the things that I thought that night, I still think. And I would say that Ryan is, is uh, musically, um, we're not talking about necessarily about him as a, as a person or in private or, or what have you. Yeah. Um, I really think that he is a surrealist in a radical sense. And the surrealist relationship with reality is one of lightness Yes, when it's great. And I think that I consider that the reticence of expectation a way of maintaining lightness. Yeah. yeah. And I think that uh, no matter what, that that lightness is potentially more important than following one um, suggestion or another. Yeah. Keeping that the the fidelity to lightness and joyfulness of that light lightness is I think a huge part of his practice and, and one that I feel an incredible fidelity and love for. Yeah. I want to touch upon this lightness and, and surreal aspect of Ryan's work in terms of your own practice, because I think I, I appreciate what you're saying about it. Humor I think is a really... I, I was trying to say, like, th- does Ryan think it's funny sometimes to resist structure or parameters or direction, what what have you? But humor, to me, is a huge part of improvisation, but I feel like a lot of people take it so seriously as observers or mm. as practitioners, or at least they come across as being very stoic and serious. Would you agree that humor, like in life... Like, improvisation is life, right? Everything we do every day is improvised. But do you feel like humor... In your practice or in music with people like you or Ryan, is humor a big factor in your work? Hmm. I mean, I, I mean, we're human beings, so humor is going to be a part of at least one part of something. Of, of, uh, it's a tif- difficult one. Uh, well, in may, terms I, may of I may, what's the difference? May I may I interject for a moment and suggest uh, to people that yeah. so so Eric, the first song on your record, say Laura is called yeah. Hello, How, and Hey. And and, and that yeah. is the, the the way it's sort of structured. Hello, comma, how, yeah. question mark, and hey. Now, I will say two things about this. First of all, that's inherently eye-catching and funny. There's just something funny about <laughs> that. And then the other thing mm-hmm. I wanted to say is I first encountered this turn of phrase, if you will, I think from you, from an email in like 2019, it was like an email saying there was some sort of event going dance on, piece. dance piece, and then I believe it might have was the dance piece called "Hello, How and Hey" or something along those lines. Is for that right? a short, for a short uh, amount of time, it was it was a working title that got right. changed right before the the actual production of it. Yeah, right. And this was a dance. So you provided uh, what a live score for a, a, a dance piece. Is that what it occurred? More or less, and that song was a part of it. Yeah. Okay, so thank you for establishing that. So I, I just mm-hmm. wanted, I saw that on the record. I'm like, wait a minute, that sounds really familiar. And I didn't, this was in France, you did the dance piece, right? You didn't do that it, here it was, in Canada. Yeah, yeah, yeah so was, yeah. I have no, obviously, I, I just remembered, my mind is interesting to me that I was like, wait a minute, Eric has used this before somewhere, I'm damn sure of it. And I remembered mm-hmm. your email. That's, you say you have a lush, soft spot for me, Eric. I just want to convey to you, 
similarly lush and soft spot for you in my mind. It's in there somewhere. <laughs> my brain is soft for you. Anyway, my point is this. That expression, to me, has a little bit of eye-catching uh, humor in it. Would you agree or disagree with that sentiment? Absolutely. Again, in some way, I would... Re- uh, humor, I suppose, being a synonym for lightness, I suppose. It's a very light... Mm-hmm. Um, something I'm attracted to uh, aesthetically all the time, something that is buoyant, something that one does not need to read into so much that on the surface itself something is happening. Now, that line, that title, and the line that it comes from in the song was, again, written by Ryan Driver. (laughs) <laughs> there, there you go. See, there's something. I think he's funny, yeah. and I think, but you appreciate. He's funny. You're also right. funny. I mean, I've seen you perform, and I've seen like I. I but you, mm. there is this sense that you're not trying to be funny. Do you know what I'm coming from here? I'm just trying Absolutely. to demystify yeah, sure. some of the work because I think some people, as you may know, I you know in my time definitely at the Guelph Jazz Festival and attending other improvised music festivals I you sit there and, and I think people are stifling the joy and the humor mm. for the sake of some I don't know it's like intellectual pretense or something I don't want to castigate a whole uh, you know group of people but sometimes I'm like this is funny it is funny that someone has mm. decided to take apart a clarinet on stage you know like that's kind of funny mm. do you know what I'm saying indeed but I mean we can go I could use two examples to agree with you and and find a way out of that conundrum which sure. is look at Buster Keaton. Yes. He does not smile. That's true. And he's hilarious. That's true. And he looks serious and he looks melancholic and it's just hilarious. So these I mean when you're performing you're performing. The other thing you know more not necessarily uh as uh, oh, you know, when you're making love to uh, to someone, Vish, you don't necessarily <laughs> smile. That might even be considered creepy, <laughs> and yet you're having a pretty good time. So, sure. I think there are a lot of ways to have a good time that aren't necessarily about showing that it's funny. It can be funny, and I agree. There, one can one can make the argument that there is a lack of eros in in improvised music, or in contemporary uh, music in general, for sure. But in terms of looking for in the face, uh, looking into the face of the performer for acknowledgement that something is funny, uh, might not be entirely useful i mean who knows what the person is thinking while they're playing the things that pop through my head as i'm playing are are vast and wide yeah um sometimes i'm not even really listening to what i'm doing as part of the practice of improvising so there's a lot of ways to have humor in the world Uh, but again I know where you're coming from, and I empathize with what, what you're talking about. Well, I about. appreciate what you're saying as well. I think uh, I've come to, uh, as someone who's sort of uh, a student of comedy as well, the more you learn mm-hmm. about comedians, and I'm generalizing, of course, some are perfectly fine and happy, a lot of them tend to te- uh, you know, uh, be drawn to darkness and dark thoughts. And and uh, even Mel Brooks who or Buster Keaton or whomever... Uh, they tend to uh, delve into absurdism and the extremes of surrealism 
because I think there's a patent feel. There's a patent sort of inherent feeling that life is strange, but not pointless. I don't want to sound dour, but just like life is random, and so the way you stave off the despair, existential angst, and whatnot is you embrace humor, and humor is meant to be a balm mm-hmm. against how dark life can be and how hard life can be. So you laugh at it, you make fun of it, you. You engage in sort of surreal, absurd behavior. And I feel like Mm -hmm. on an intellectual level, the improvisers I've seen, the people who've engaged in strange sounds, as you do, you know, for years now, you seem to be, what are you doing there with your feet when you play your guitar, Eric? You're creating different rubbery sort of wah-wah-esque tones. Is that fair? Yeah, I mean, one foot is on a wah-wah most of the time, yeah. Yeah. I overuse things. I have a very (laughs) limited palette for... For me, the electronics are instruments. They are uh, effects for the guitar. They create new guitars. Yes, exactly. So... Yeah. yeah. But but I think it's also bending reality a little bit. I mean, when you use a a distortion, it's called a distortion pedal. I mean, not a wah-wah pedal, but all of these things are meant to alter reality. So the guitar, mm-hmm. when you plug it in, sounds a certain way. Then you get mm-hmm. a bunch of things like you have, and, and it mm-hmm. alters reality. And, and I think that's, it makes it, if you will, um, this is maybe a stretch and shoot me down if you like, but it turns the guitar from a real thing to a surreal thing. Like, oh my God, that guy's foot is turning that guitar, which if it didn't have that stuff by his feet would just sound like a way, the way I think a guitar probably would sound. You know, mm-hmm. but you're you're of the ilk, and a lot of uh, people uh, like you who are like I'm going to either distort or radically alter uh, the signal so that when it hits people, it's gonna it's gonna bend, it's gonna sound bent or broken or different than what they're expecting. So all I'm mm-hmm. I don't know where this came from, Eric. I'm just spitballing here, but there's okay. there's something there. I feel like in your employment of surreal tones, humor, improvisation. And your practice. So I think you're funny. Mm-hmm. I'm not listening to say Laura and being like, ha ha ha. Oh my exactly. God, he got me with that one. But, you know, yeah. I do have it on and I'm like, wow. I re- like, you know, I play records in the house when I'm doing the dishes and cooking. So the kids hear it too. And they're like, what? You know, your record is one of those records where they're like, what the hell is going on, Papa? And I have mm. to be like, oh, you know. And then your beautiful singing voice too gives it a normalcy. Anyway, all this to say. So is anything that I'm saying resonating with you about your own practice? Absolutely. I mean, I, I wouldn't say things much differently at all. Okay. Uh, what can I, I mean... Did I just encapsulate, I, things, I encapsulated you? Is yeah, it? Sure. I mean, the thing is, is that for me, the, the, the things that we feel... For me, there there is humor and melancholy. There is melancholy and humor, which is something you've already touched on mm-hmm. with comedians. There is, I think, a lot of the things we feel, there are not clean lines between them. And I feel like my musical practice uh, more or less is interested in where, where things get a little sticky, where things get a little muddy, where things aren't necessarily clear, which is also something that you've kind of touched on. Um, yeah. Although I think that there is a clarity there. It's just... It's a clarity that's that comes from a different place, if you know what I mean. Well, there's a quote from you, I believe, in the biographical mm. information. Uh-oh. Well, <laughs> it's a quote from you, I think, either quoting or paraphrasing uh, the uh, actor Harry Dean Stanton. Mm. And the line I'm referring to is, I, I care about everything, 
but who cares? And I think that's where I'm coming from, too, with comedians and people or improvisers. They care a lot about what they're doing, and they put a lot of thought into it. But there's also this sense of, who cares? I tried. I, I, it, it's it's sort of ephemeral or it's fleeting, just like life. You know, like I'm going to try a joke or I'm going to play the guitar a certain way. Um, I care about everything, but who cares? Like, why did that? That was my take on it, and 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 as it follows yeah. our recent, our, our just my line of reasoning here. But what does that quote mean to you? Well, it's within the context of the interview with Harry Dean Stanton. Harry Dean Stanton is being pushed to talk about what the interviewer is is, is calling nihilism and uh, Harry Dean Stanton questions him he's like well what is nihilism mm-hmm. and then so the interviewer responds and Harry Dean Stanton's getting a little bit frustrated and he's like listen I care about everything who cares <laughs> that <laughs> contrapuntal beauty is a way of saying I'm engaged, but in a way that retains the lightness, which, you know, it will be something perhaps we're always, we're going to get back to is that the who cares is not nihilistic. And um, I think, I mean, with Harry Dean Stanton, it it most certainly comes from a lot of Buddhist texts that he reads. Yeah, Um, yeah. And the way he said it, though, I use that in my notes for the record, because I was struck by it and watched it many times. But if you can find it on um, those internets. There's an interview with him that is just incredibly, for anyone who, who already loves his body of work and, and the way he is in, in films and outside of films, I would find this interview incredibly beautiful. Hmm. He's incredibly open. And that, that who, but who cares is again lightness it's joy it's 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 joyfulness well yeah i i I didn't i I didn't pick up on the i guess it's sort of inherently i could see how someone might read into that and think it was nihilistic but to me it suggests a letting go of something Mm -hmm. because that's i feel like each what's the expression we say uh to like oh you just had a bad day tomorrow's a new day and uh, mm-hmm. I, I feel like that is also probably vaguely in the vein of Buddhism, um, where you're just like, the thing that happened, happened, and you move on kind of thing, and you try mm-hmm. other things. So I care about everything, but who cares kind of feels like, it feels to me anyway, along those lines. Like, I think that it's, it's actually the humor and the tone itself that is the, the message in that. Yeah, it, sure. It, the, the, the who cares isn't the answer. And the I care about everything isn't the answer. Right. But it opens up a form of imagining what is in between I care about everything and who cares. Right. And that space is open. Right. And that's what I'm calling lightness. I see. He's not being, he's being very clear, but he is allowing a space to open up between two things that might seem that they are at odds with each other. Right. And to break down some kind of, you know, binary uh, method of of being in the world, which I think whew, right now we could all use a little bit of that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's true. That it is a really pertinent uh, sort of statement of being in this current reality. I, I think that's true. Yeah. yeah. 
It's soothing in a cell. I, I guess I'm trying to. It, it seems like almost meditative. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like it, it's yeah. something you could. Which is funny, you know. Yeah, uh, meditation is funny. Yeah, meditation it's, is it's funny. Like thing. just the practice of meditation. No, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, it's, I think it's kind of funny. <laughs> Most things I love, I find very funny. Do you do you practice meditation of some kind? I do not. Yeah. No, I have other practices, but uh, and they may or may not be. Uh, somewhere in the forms of meditation, but uh, strictly speaking, I do not practice meditation. Sure. Yeah, I, I've struggled with it too. It seems like something that I should do. Uh, I have different mm. methods of dealing with the stuff that I think people are trying to deal with with meditation as well. Uh, mm. And some people say uh, uh, going for a walk, which is something I try to do when it's not. It's currently, as I'm speaking to you, like minus thirty degrees Celsius here in. Uh, are you serious? Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's funny. We were oh we're God. doing a Zoom family chat, and my sister and her family are in Nova Scotia, and it was plus one while, while it was mm. minus 30 here yesterday. So the weather is still... What's Is it... Uh, you got all the seasons where you are, right? It gets cold. It gets warm. Yeah, absolutely. It's on the cusp of the south. So right, right now, it's probably hovering around, I don't know, 10, 11 degrees. Right. Okay. So, yeah. It's just, it was colder than that two weeks ago. Well, the point right. I'm trying to raise is, like, ideally, I would go for... If I was feeling like I needed some space or time to think or meditate, if you will, I'd go for a walk. And I found out, or I heard tell recently, that that's what walking is. Uh, if you go for a walk for that purpose, like, just to get some fresh air and perspective... You're meditating. And I was like, oh, mm-hmm. didn't know that. I I mean, I'm sure someone would see you performing your music and think, oh, he's in some sort of meditative state. Would you reject such a notion? People can think whatever. Whatever. <laughs> I wouldn't argue with anyone. Um, <laughs> but from your... <laughs> uh, saying anything that whatever they see, I, you know, I don't necessarily know better than, better than they do. Yeah. It, it often does not very f- much feel like a meditative state. I mean, I'm out in public... I have a lot of gear around me. I'm thinking about what that has to do, and yeah. but sometimes it can be for sure. You're definitely. I'm not. You're in a heightened state, yeah. right? You're a, there's tension and heightened. As a performer, as I recall, you, you either don't think about it at all and just do it, or you yeah. do enter a kind of zone of okay, yeah. I'm performing now. The zone, yeah. So you, are you in? No, the zone is always welcome. Yeah. One, I think, I think I always welcome to be in the zone, but the zone is very open as to what that could be. Right. I've been in very a lot of differing kinds of states when playing music, either alone or with others, or in public or not in public, mm-hmm. and uh, they all can be okay. Right. They 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 all can give something. I mean, the performer can be feeling something that is not felt in the audience because. We, I don't think a musician is always tapping into some kind of primordial state. I mean, you, we have practices. We have, I've been thinking about music for over 40 years. And when I get up on stage, I have those 40 years of thinking mm-hmm. where if I'm in a bad mood or I have a cold or I'm not feeling very good or I'm terrified of, of the state of the room I'm going to be sleeping in that night, um, I have a musical practice I can rely on. Yeah. To make music happen, I don't have to be in like um, in a great mood to make music that I like, hmm. and often uh, that that can be the case. And, all, and then maybe you feel better after. It'll, it'll change your way of feeling. Yeah. Well, speaking of making music and feelings, uh, I, if if one were to simply read the press materials that accompany this record, I think it would be okay for them to assume that when they hit play. 
They might be hearing something more beat oriented. There's a lot of language in the bio about how you used uh, beats uh, and drum machines, in fact, and were inspired by the likes of Gangstar and EPMD to create this record, Say Laura. But then as I listen to the record, I, I'm not sure those influences are as evident. Um, can you explain no. this, uh, this, how this all came to be and the, what this press release is all about? Sure. I think I can do that. <laughs> uh, I mean, quite frankly, the in the last few years, I have been listening to a lot of the hip-hop I was first introduced to. My lover, Mariette, I would say, perhaps got into hip-hop kind of post-Wu-Tang. Oh, oh post-Wu-Tang. Interesting. So, yeah. And me being a little bit older and having gotten into it at the in the 80s and 90s, Started kind of giving these like weekends of like uh, like the history of hip hop, you know, as told by somebody who is no, by no means a an expert. But mm-hmm. I would go back, you know, Grandmaster Flash and all that stuff. And then when I would hit the late eighties, early nineties, I realized how much stuff I really love. And and Gangstar probably uh, step in the arena, especially just being one of the most beautiful records I've ever heard. Hmm. And I started putting it in my headphones and imagining slower beats that would make sense with that music. And I would tap them out on my drum machine while listening to that era of hip hop. Mm. Not only that era of hip hop, some of the beats come while listening to other things, but that was one of the things that, that was kind of a, a bit of an epiphany where I would write beats that didn't even have songs yet. And I would create a catalog of beats. Interesting. Some of them were, would be 80 bar long beats wouldn't repeat for 80 bars. And, um, I would do that while listening to music. I loved, uh, you know, another way of kind of just sharing the joy of listening and having that be a part of music making and, and so that's where that comes from. Apart from that, there isn't a whole hell of a lot of Gangstar on my record, no. So um, if you can, by your reckoning, offer some perspective on that era that you're describing, late 80s, early 90s, in my mm-hmm. reckoning of things, people like DJ Premier, you mentioned Wu-Tang, so I'll throw RZA into the mix, eventually Kanye West and his ilk, um, mm. were m- grabbing and sampling a lot of jazz, soul, certain kind of beats. Like, I think it, it sort of started out, particularly probably with the rise of both Public Enemy and BC Boys, there was a little more rock beat sampling. Um, yeah, And then it, it sort of started to evolve where, uh, I, I mean, particularly with Native Tongues and De La Soul and Tribe Called Quest, where the jazz records Absolutely. were more, it wasn't just the, the beats, it was the, the rhythm section, in fact. Uh, you mm-hmm. would get... The bass and the, be- the 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 actual beats were from jazz records, if you will, and then it has evolved to wherever it's at at the moment in terms of it being kind of open season, I think. And some of those same samples are being so uh, genetically modified <laughs> that you you can't really find the source. You can't figure out the source as much. Anyway, uh, that was sorry. I'm a totally leading question to your reckoning. How would you characterize? Uh, the beats that you uh, in, that inspired uh, you to actually create your own. Um, do you see, in terms of their origin, if you will, like do you, do you see any yeah. commonality? 
Um, well, I don't know. I don't really know how I can answer that question yeah. other than, as I said, I made those beats while listening to other music and then the tempos would have to be adjusted when they started to be attached to a song. I see. Uh, okay. Often they had to, to be, often they had to be adjusted quite a lot slower. Um, so you weren't thinking of obviously. the fact that it might be uh, a, a jazz record that was grabbed or a soul record or a rock record. You were simply reacting to whatever had been modified and then trying to emulate that. So it's like a... Th- exactly. Thir- and, and especially yeah. those... The, especially that era. Especially, um, you know, the cusp of the... of From the 80s into the 90s, which is the, the cusp of hip-hop that I'm kind of talking about there. One of the things that I love about that music is that it, there wasn't that many choruses. Yeah. They... They rhymed nonstop. Yeah. Guru just the amount of sentences that he would write for each song. Yeah. This torrent of joy. And I love that. You know, I love Sizzla for that too. Mm-hmm. And obviously Chuck D is a is killer in that way. Yeah. Where just the amount of words uh I I love that very much. Well, so yeah, that's a big part of what I, what I love about that music. Uh, the the fact that it's funky as hell. Sure, that you know that's. I don't I don't know if I can separate those two things. Well, the the combo of Guru and and Primo like that is a ridiculous configuration. Like I don't. That's magical, and I think underrated. Frankly, mm. like I we lost Guru, and that's sad. And. Premier is still out there doing beats, but it is remarkable how distinctive both are. Both to have two entities. I mean, I guess Eric B mm. and Rakim might be. That's um, it's similar. Just like the combination of two very gifted artists doing that kind of stuff. But Premier's mm-hmm. beats are particularly unique, right? I mean, I know mm-hmm. you've been kind of obsessed with it, but as you surveyed, as you taught your hip hop course to your. Lady friend, did did obviously <laughs> gangster stuck out, but did you can you home in on his production? Like, what do you do? You have any? No, s- no. I'm an I'm an idiot when I listen to Gij. Okay. Uh, historically, I don't spend a lot of time thinking about what I'm listening to, hmm. and I don't mean that to be evasive to the question. Quite truthfully, I usually don't have any fucking idea what's going on. I see. Uh, I see. What, with what I'm listening to, and then sure, I can reflect upon it and. But the reflect that isn't necessary, and I could say what with Gangstar and EPMD and that whole era, it's the buoyancy, yeah, um, which is ge- a generality. I can't really talk about how they made those sounds, whether what kind of I don't know what's that they use to. I have no idea how you make that music, right? No clue, and I'm never going to make it, so I don't have to, I don't have to know. I'm one of the lucky ones that doesn't have to know. I just get to hear it and and enjoy it and uh, get blown away by it. But there is a certain buoyancy, and that buoyancy definitely comes from the jazz uh, lifting, which you hear on something you know on that Tribe Called Quest record with the live bass player, um, the low end theory, yeah, and all the De La Soul, all that music. You know, when you compare it to like maybe Eric B and Rakim which has this kind of incredible minimalism to it. Um, you know, I mean, you know, th- these are not swinging beats. 
No. When you compare them to something like uh, Gangstar or EPMD or all the other ones I'm talking about, there's a kind of buoyancy and a kind of live swinging. They swing like crazy. Yeah. And I love that because, you know, uh, what can I say? I, I, I love jazz music. Too. Well, I mean, and, and I, I appreciate that people like Eric Sermon and I appreciate that they did too and, and realized mm-hmm. it was really sort of a, 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 its roots for them, I, I think, in a way mm-hmm. that whether their parents listened to it. I know in interviews, like if you look at what RZA would sample uh, on Wu-Tang, like clearly... If you, that's like my favorite thing is going to find sam- like the source of a sample mm-hmm. and then you okay. check out the context and you realize there's a good chance that Rizzo was 11 years old when he heard this record for the first time or mm-hmm. Eric Sermon as well. Like I, it, anyway, it's just interesting because I know, you know, you are, I think, also a, a, a deep jazz fan. Is that fair? Uh, absolutely. Yeah. Without without any doubt. Yeah. So this is an interesting you you doing what you're doing on this record, which we haven't even got to the real point of the matter. Is you you wrote to beats, but then as far as I can tell, you removed the beats. <laughs> is that a fair? Uh, is that a fair? Okay. It, it, yeah, I hear what you're saying. Yeah. It's a bit technically complicated, but basically those beats are not heard as they are. The drum machine, no one hears, but they work they are plugged into a source because i am able to make synthesized chords out of my guitar while i'm playing live and those beats would trigger the opening of that synthesized harmonic uh material Mm. to create a beat driven harmonic material which are the beats that you do hear so it's a combination of something pre-recorded opening something that is very live. Right. So that it's not there's no loops. We're not hearing anything pre-recorded other than a rhythm, but not the actual material, not actual the 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 actual harmonic material of that rhythm. Is there a version of this record that contain like not a version of this record? Like is there Well, yeah, sure. The two questions, I guess. Did Ryan when he was conceiving of his parts for the songs he appears on, did he hear the beats, or did he just hear your? He just heard what I what I gave him, which right. is what you're what you what you've heard. So, is there uh, any chance we might someday? And I'm not. This is not to suggest they're lacking, but just as a curiosity, is there any chance we might hear the versions of these pieces that did contain your slowed down interpolation of hip hop beats? That's an amazing well, sentence. I, that's a, that's an amazing that question. Different. That's a good question. I, I am proud of that question. It's a. <laughs> it doesn't sound that different, though, Vish. It's just <laughs> instead of hearing, like, let's see, on the title track, say, Laura, yeah. I think it, it goes, bow, bow, bow. And if you heard what came out of what's actually triggering that, all you'd hear is. You hear how there's not really that much of a difference. You'd just be hearing the drum machine rather than what the drum machine is opening. This is very complicated. I don't expect. Listen uh, to me. I'm a drummer. So whenever I hear that uh, the drum beats were included and then taken away. Uh, my yeah. my whole okay. brethren gets a little sensitive. What are you doing? No, I hear you. What I can I can answer that by I am uh, very much considering the next record being a Toronto band. 
So oh. um, you would definitely be hearing beats <laughs> because there would be two drummers on that. Uh, playing uh, on that record. Is there any example that you can think of of an artist doing this where they played... I'm sure there are many versions of this sort of thing where instruments were employed and then removed. But I'm having trouble thinking of an example of someone using uh, certain instrumentation, in this case, drums. Let's just call them drums. Mm -hmm. As a compositional Mm -hmm. instigator and then building around them, but then removing what was ostensibly the initializing entity. I, I just can't... Is there any example of this that you can think Absolutely. of? Absolutely. Absolutely. There are so many different ways and so many fun things to talk about with that question, Vish. You've opened up a can of worms. <laughs> Let's talk about... Uh, for, just to, give, to be a little bit more gracious before I start going in on something a little bit more um, off the beaten path is, I mean, you know... I think in every recording of most major pop R&B rock records, there's a whole bunch of stuff that gets erased. Hmm. Uh, one can think of Prince erasing the bass from Kiss, right? Uh, which was just a stellar move uh, that lightened up. The, I mean, I don't know. It probably sounds incre- incredible anyways with, with the bass. Yeah. But so there's that to just, t- I mean, especially uh, an R&B track, that is bound to be a hit to remove bass from it is pretty <laughs> interesting move. Mm. So there's, I think that the other way instead, not necessarily of, of always removing them, but of, of composing palimpsestically. So that means, you know, having something recording over it, recording over it, recording over it to the point where you no longer hear the track that you started with. I think this is something that, especially with home recording is probably something that is now in the mainstream as a as a compositional form. Mm. I think that's a pretty good answer. I was going to go into a piece of music from the 70s or 80s that I love very much that uses that as a kind of um, conceptual starting point, yeah. but um, I think that that's pretty good. No, no, it is for. good. You cited some. You cited Prince and some other alluded to other examples. Is this something you've done before where you've started with? Absolutely. You do it. Yeah. Okay. I mean, there's a piece of music. It's called one, two, one, two, three, four by Gavin Bryars. Yeah. Please don't listen to the version where they play Beatles songs. But basically the idea is and you have people like Derek Bailey, Gavin Bryars, Brian Eno in this group composed by um, Gavin Bryars and everyone has headphones on. And they're all listening to a mixtape of basically jazz standards, whether sung by Mel Torme or uh, I don't know who, I don't know, I, I haven't had access to the original tape. I've played this piece uh, arranged by Martin Arnold, but I have not, uh, I, I don't have much um, knowledge about the original other than it's amazing. Hmm. And so they're all listening to cassettes. And so Gavin Breyer starts off by saying one, two, one, two, three, four. And at that moment, everybody in the band presses play on their cassettes. I think everyone starts off with the same couple songs. And then at that point, each tape starts to diverge uh, from each other. And also you have the fact that they're dealing with a a mechanical object of a tape recorder. So it's already going to be slightly out of sync. Hmm. All the musicians are told to play their instrument. So if there's a jazz guitar, like, I don't know, somebody playing jazz guitar on a Mel Torme tune, Derek Bailey has to play what that guitar player is playing, or at least try. Some people more or less did their homework, some people didn't. 
And it's a beautifully psychedelic piece of music where basically it's exactly what you are talking about. Hmm. We are hearing everything but the source. And um, to come and, full circle to our conversation, that's very funny. That's a funny... Of course, it's, it's, it's hilarious and yeah. it's beautiful. Yeah. It's an incredibly beautiful recording. Dreamy and, and shares so much with the original source material. That's huh. what's so crazy about it, how beautiful <laughs> it is. Um, and in fact, I record like, I mean, I record guitar solos without listening to the original track all the time. Oh, I see. Okay. So it, you've, hit a, you've hit upon something that's very dear to me because what I want to hear is something that um, I feel like, okay, I know generally what mode I have to play in so that it's not completely out of tune, but I kind of want to hear what two things that didn't, uh, that weren't played at the same time uh, or with reference to each other, what they sound like. And I think that, I think that's what we're talking about here. I think the analogy that might work in this case, and tell me if it's wrong, but it would be like you build a shelf with a, a hammer and some nails, but then when the shelf is done, you put the hammer away, and when someone comes to observe your work, the hammer is implied, but it's not there. Uh-huh. <laughs> I like this. The, I like the this tool, issue. the tool, of course, had to be a part of the structure, but we mm-hmm. don't really engage with the tool after. So, in a sense, in your practice, in this record in particular, the beats were a tool to get you yeah. somewhere, and then, but you don't. You don't show some. You don't say to someone. Not only do you, oh, I want to show you the shelf I built. Look at the hammer. Here's the hammer I used. The person would be like, mm-hmm. "Okay, that's nuts." Like I don't care about that. Of course, I assume you had a hammer. So it's like a weird. Mm-hmm. It's like a weird. Uh, it's almost process oriented. Uh, I don't know. It's it's like you're you're putting the tools away and, and just presenting. Yeah. The record as the finished. Shelf. Does that make any sense? I think I'm obsessed with this analogy because well, eventually I'm going to get your record in its physical form and I'm going to put it on the shelf beside me. That's what I'm thinking. <laughs> oh, there's the link. There's okay. the link. Yeah. Well, I think what you've hit upon here, Vish, is a, a sweet little uh, <laughs> corner of the world of uh, art making, which is the compulsiveness for one to perhaps desire to understand uh, how something is made. Yes. And... Although I understand that, it has nothing to do with how I listen to music. I don't know how to make a shelf. I, can, I have an idea how to make a, a very bad shelf. But if I saw a well-made shelf, I would not know how it's made. Sure. And I could enjoy that shelf. I think that uh, because of how, uh, for many reasons, uh, big and small, uh, funny and not, uh, we, we don't always allow that same principle to be there when we're looking at art or reading literature or, or listening to music, this, this idea of not understanding, which isn't just a lack, it's, it opens up a space for something else to happen, something um, incredibly beautiful to happen, where, you know, I've said this a million times in, in interviews, that there's a lot of, a lot of time during the day where we have to use our understanding, our comprehension, yeah. what they call common sense. Yeah. For me, art and a lot of other things as well are a space where I do not need that. And uh, in that way, it is a way out of being changed this 
to this idea of of everything having to be within the within the the bars of uh, of comprehension. I appreciate that totally. And the only other thing I'll I'll, I'll say about this, though, and not to contradict mm-hmm. what you're saying, is <laughs> well, you you the the thing is this record. If I had gotten this record and there was no biographical information, I would not ask you yeah. this line of questioning. Where are the beats? You, they said there's going to be beats. Yeah. So the thing is, the go. intention with this press material that I'm, and the, you know, as I say, 90% of the people, or I didn't say this, but I'll say it now, 90% of the people listening to us having this conversation may never encounter this press material in its original form you might talk about it in other interviews Mm -hmm. other media outlets might pick up on this as just an Mm interest it's totally interesting like that's why i'm asking about it it's totally interesting that you would do it well i mean that's a bit of the collaboration i have with with constellation uh the record label i'm on and and uh ian ilavsky with whom i i work on these things for i write a whack of stuff that's very stream of consciousness and i write it to him very privately or more or less yeah, you know yeah. and i give it to him and i'm like if you find any of this interesting you know that's that's where ian takes over and i don't really question anything i've given him for the most part yeah. it's usually two or three pages of ramblings and <laughs> and some of it not necessarily even uh true uh <laughs> necessarily but they're not lies either they're just you know, one must be weary of, of artists talking about their own work, especially right after. Well, you know. and, and I appreciate all of those things. And I appreciate that you sent him what you sent. Uh, you sent Ian what you sent him, and he did <laughs> what he wanted to do with it. He obviously picked up on the same thing I'm picking up on, which is that's fascinating. The way you made this yeah. record is fascinating. However, yeah. what I was going to say is it points out the absence of something. So mm-hmm. what I'm saying is... In a sense, you didn't have to convey this ghost in the machine of your songs. Like, you didn't have to... I think I used that expression wrong, but never mind. I think uh, you didn't have to really... None of you had to say this. Like, you're pointing out something that none of us would have thought of as a, yeah. as a thing that makes us think of that thing. So, I already mm-hmm. said, where's the... I, well, now that you've said it's not here... I, I mm-hmm. want to hear it like a baby, like a child. I want the yeah. thing that isn't here that you told me was that, was that could have been here just out of some gluttony or yeah. selfishness. So it's just an, you could have just put it out and not mentioned this and no one yeah. would have been the wiser. So there's a little bit of well, intention I, there in I, this. To be fair to Ian, I think he was trying to get at something that's very hard because it's so technical. Mm. Uh, it involves words like noise gate yes. and, um, and key inputs. Yeah. I mean, I mean, these are all, these are not digital. This is not uh, max SP or whatever the hell that is. Um, <laughs> this is a, just a, a, a rudimentary synthesizer pedal yeah. using technology from the 50s. So it's, it's not uh, highfalutin yeah. in, any, in any way. Yeah. And I think Ian has tried in, in, in one way or another to talk about process. And that's always tricky, yeah. but I trust him. Yeah. And uh, I think he did a pretty good job, but I think what it, what I think what's very important to talk directly to your concern, Rish, is that you're not missing anything. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 and I, I don't feel I am. The record's gorgeous and beautiful. It's just interesting that we've spent a good forty five minutes talking about nothing, like talking mm. talking about something that isn't even there, but it was there. So that's on me. 
But it's also fascinating that this was where I feel like I, you know, you get uh, press materials like this, and if you read them, you know, I listen to records as much as I can to make my own opinions, and then I might read something like this after just to see where the two uh, meet, you know, my my feeling and what was conveyed by the artist or their people. Mm-hmm. So it's just all I'm getting at, and I'm not, it's not a criticism, it's just fascinating that I, this conversation was precipitated on this biographical information about a record talking about something that isn't even on the record. Like, I'm not saying it's... But it is, Rich. But, but it, it is, is on, on the <laughs> <laughs> I think I, I get very much what you're talking about, and I don't I don't hear it as being we're talking about lack or that you're that you you want to hear something more. Yes. That's not I know exactly what you yeah. mean. What I'm telling you in this precise instance, uh, you're missing. If I added the beat into it, all it would do was create a, a mild more amount of attack. Right. Sure. From what, the beat you're already hearing. Yeah. Um, that's it. Okay. Um, it's a, you know if you ever come by the house, uh, I'll show you. I'll show you how I'd, I'd like to see how this happens uh, the next time I'm in France for sure. It's very dumb. Yeah, <laughs> you, you'll be very disappointed. <laughs> Say Laura is an interesting turn of phrase. It's the title track of a a piece, and uh, titles mm. for better or for worse can can capture something about the whole of a work. Why did that expression and that I guess that song? Why why did you? choose to focus our attention on that say laura this is very this is going to go into some very very um imagining of of reality here because again all of my lyrics are written in collaboration with 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 ryan driver Mm -hmm. and again you've touched upon one that ryan came up with now whether i actually what we have a process where he listens to how i'm singing and he kind of makes up words that he thinks make sense to what i'm what he thinks i think i'm saying what he thinks i'm saying that's what so so i mumble some stuff and i imagine that i i must have had something that sounded a lot like laura because in fact the song is very much a, a a a very direct homage to the song laura from the from the is it a film? It's, it's, I think it's a film. The film Laura. Hmm. It's and it's a song that has been sung by many. It's been sung by Frank Sinatra. It's been sung by hell. Even Robert Wyatt gave it a good go. Oh. Uh, but the ones, the versions that really killed me. Um, there's especially one sung by Gene Lee. Uh, also Charlie Parker with Charlie Parker and strings. Even though there's no singing on that one. Uh, but it's beautiful. Oh, they did an interpretation um, of the of the song. I see. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he did an, a beautiful orchestral interpretation of the song. Okay. And uh, sometimes I am listening to a song, and I'm and I think I wish I wrote that song. Hmm. So then I say to myself, "Well, why don't you then, Eric, write it?" Hmm. And so I start with the beginning cadence, uh, which starts not unlike mine. And I go from there. I see. So I use again, not differing, not very different from how I was listening to to uh, EPMD beats. I use other music to get me going because standing there with nothing is not my what I do very often. It, it does happen, but often I find kind of weird little ways to get me going. And that song has been one that I've loved for a very, very long time. And there's and sometimes when you try when you start copying it with the intent of 
you know, wanting to erase any attempt at copying, letting it go where it's going to go, you learn something about why that song works. Yeah. And that's interesting to me. Yeah. For somebody who has had a very autodidactic relationship with studying music, I'm continually learning and writing for me for me is a way of of learning not only how things I do work but how other things work. Mm. So whether it be starting with a harmonic improvisation by Thelonious Monk or a set of chords played uh, by Sun Ra or Gene Lee cadencing Say Laura so insanely beautifully yeah. that your heart melts. Yeah. I use these things to get going, to start something. And weirdly, Ryan came back with the lyrics that actually have the, the name in it. I see. Which is kind of mind-blowing him. But uh, working with Ryan, um, you see, these kinds of things can happen. Well, I appreciate your dedication to the truth uh, as well, because uh, these are all things you, like I said, and I'm not questioning, uh, I, I feel like I sound like someone who's questioning the existence of this particular biographical and press release oriented information. Like, why are you telling me everything? But I feel like you're be, yeah. you're being honest about it. These are the, cause yeah. all the names you just mentioned are mentioned in this in this PR, mm-hmm. the beats are mentioned in this PR. They're not unimportant. They are significant to the shape of this record. So sometimes I think we forget that, that when a label or an artist releases such information, it's a little diary entry for themselves. Mm-hmm. As much as a, it's also a way of distinguishing, you know how press works there. Vish, I don't know. You've been around. <laughs> uh, you know, you got to find an angle. Yeah. You got to yeah. you gotta get an angle. Yeah. And, you know, my records sound really like each other. So coming up with a new angle yeah. isn't um, child's play. <laughs> so, you know, just I think Ian's always looking for an angle. Yeah. And uh, he's doing it with uh, love in his heart. Yeah. And, um and he, you know, he found it. And I don't think talking about, you could talk about exactly how this record was made. And I, don't, I don't think it really changes how one hears it, really. Yeah. Um, I was going to say, it's an absolutely gorgeous record. And it's another one from you. You're, you're someone I love very much, uh, Eric, as an artist and as a person. So I appreciate, I hope this didn't come across as some sort of interrogation, inquisition even. <laughs> I think you know it didn't, Vish. Okay, good, 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 good. So you alluded to the fact that uh, you, you're already contemplating a Toronto band record at some point, but do you actually have any firm future plans or is it possible to cite even tour dates given the calamitous and ever-changing uh, circumstances <laughs> we're in? Like, do, do you have any plans that you can share beyond the release of Sailor? Uh, yeah, I do have some uh, concerts coming up in France and the UK in the end of February. Um, whether they happen or not, we will have to see. Yes. And then after that, there will be, again, we will have to see uh, quite a bit of touring if it's possible. Okay. The idea is yes, and uh, whether that includes North America or not, I imagine my, I have my eyes set on the fall for returning to the Ontario region at the very least, to okay. uh, Ontario, Quebec region at the very least, yeah. That's, that's what You're I You're saying I'll have, to, I'll have to fly home if I want to see you, basically, at this point. I don't know. Potentially. I don't know. If, if somebody invites me to... <laughs> To Edmonton, you know, I'm a pretty hospitable dude. 
Okay, well, I'm uh, I'm inviting you now. I have to figure out the rest of the stuff, but consider this an invitation, and I'll figure out. I don't know anything. I don't know anyone really because as soon as we got here, everything locked down. I know. I, a few people. I know the feeling. I know yeah. we came. Yeah. <laughs> we came at the beginning of conf- the first confinement here, and right. so it's been it's been uh, it's a very interesting way to get to know a city. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. So for people who want to learn more about Sailora and you, I know that uh, they can go to cstrecords.com for all the comprehensive info about you and your releases. But is there? are you on anything else? Do you use any of the internet? I for do, your own, I do uh, use me- parts of the internet. I have a what they call a website. Oh, uh, yes. Which is very obvious. It's my name at... Uh, my name.com or whatever. No, just, just to be clear, Eric Chanot.com. You don't, yeah. you didn't buy the rights to my name. I'm sure that that one was taken uh, pretty yeah. early in the internet's yes. uh, history. Yeah, probably and I did not have access to that. No. Okay. So it's Eric <laughs> com, whatever. And, um, well, we'll see, you know, I'm, uh, flirting with doing some other things. Um, you flirting with, uh, everyone seems to be flirting with Instagram. <laughs> Instagram is the one or Twitter, I feel like Twitter. I won't do. uh, Not well. I can't say that. The world is a an elusive place. I don't know what I'll be doing. Um, But Instagram is probably. I can I can foresee that happening. Some of our mutual friends use uh, Instagram, and I'm surprised at how much they use Instagram, given what Mm. I think I know of them. But they seem to enjoy it. So uh, I hope that's the case uh, for you as well, and and hopefully you can still get either at Eric Cheneau on Instagram or perhaps at my name at Instagram. <laughs> we'll figure it out. We'll figure it out yeah. and keep an eye on your website and everything else. Uh, Eric, this was uh, fun for me, but before we go, uh, is it possible for you to pick a song from Say Laura for us well, to uh, go out I think on? That, I think that we should listen to Say Laura and then people should go and find uh, the song Laura sung by Gene Lee and um and and uh see what they think about that <laughs> okay all right that makes Homework. sense <laughs> makes sense to me for sure okay this is yeah. by the way uh, i don't know if this is going to appear on the record as such but there are two versions of say laura in my uh the thing i got one says say laura the other says say laura radio edit and i don't <laughs> yeah, know isn't that amazing is that yeah. going to be on your record or will there be two versions no no, okay. uh, I think maybe on the Bandcamp page there will always be access to that. I mean, basically, it's the song minus all the guitar solos. You know, oh, so. I see. Okay, well, I want to. Can I play? I'm going to play the real one. I don't want to play. Yeah, the whatever one. you want, Vish. Let's play it. Let's play. It. This is the title track from the beautiful new record "Say Laura," which is available everywhere February 18th in the year 2022 via Constellation Records. Go get it. Go order it. Whatever you have to do. Uh, Eric, thank you so much, as always, for uh, talking to me at all and for being on my show. I I wish you the best of luck with everything in the future, and I hope we speak again soon. The pleasure was mine, Vish. Thank you very much.
slow love in the world And light you up, light you up And how long it lasts One whole moon, two palm trees Who's everyone? The future of feeling Say more, hey more Say what night The difference between one and two is a dream. Light it up, light it up. Light it up, light it up. If you wanted love, I wanted to remain in love with us.
Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Oh, what a lovely song. What a lovely treat to have Eric Cheneau back on this show. Thank you, Eric, for being on this, the 662nd episode of Creative Control, which is part of the Entertainment One Podcast Network and is available wherever you get your podcasts. If you can't find an episode that you're looking for or if you want to learn more about me and sign up for my 
somewhat dormant. It's quite dormant. I have a monthly newsletter, but I'm busy. And I don't know what I want to say in it sometimes because I say so much stuff all the time. Still, I'll get it going. This is the year. It's 2022 as I'm talking to you or as you're listening to this. And as I'm talking to you, I'm not from some other dimension. Anyway, I'll get that going again. So anyway, what was I saying? Yeah, if you want to find old episodes, learn about me, sign up for my monthly newsletter, please visit my website, vishkana.com. And also like Creative Control on uh, Facebook there. Follow the show on Twitter at Vish Creative, or you can follow me directly on Twitter or on Instagram at Vishkana. Also visit patreon.com slash creative control to consider making a flexible monthly donation to sustain this particular podcast. $6 or more grants you access to exclusive content uh, that uh, the, the, that's not available for free, I guess is the way to put it. And sometimes that includes old archive uh, interviews I've done. Sometimes that includes some bonus material I've uh, gathered from a, a current interview. It's all over the place, really, and other stuff, too. Anyway, if you're interested in any of those things or and or receiving a Creative Control t-shirt, just message me on Patreon and I will get you one while supplies last. And again, that address, patreon.com slash Control. Thanks again to Pizza Trocadero, The Bookshelf, and Planet Bean Coffee in Guelph, Ontario, and Granddad's Donuts in Hamilton, Ontario, for their in-kind support for this show. You can learn more about them by clicking on the links. Ideally, what you're looking at uh, when you look at this podcast, there's some hyperlinks text there. Just click on those links and you can learn more about uh, those businesses. also want to thank my friend Jim Guthrie for letting me use some music of his on the show. You can learn more about Jim, who I'm texting with right now, actually, about something else. Anyway, you can learn more about Jim at jimguthrie.org. And finally, thank you for listening to this episode with Eric Cheneau. I hope you enjoyed it, and we'll check out Eric's beautiful new album, Say Laura, which is available uh, at uh, cstrecords.com via Constellation Records, as you already have heard. Uh, It's wonderful, and I thank you for checking out this episode and for telling your friends about this show and maybe subscribing to it or following it, uh, however you do those things, spreading the word, all that stuff helps. So thank you. I will talk to you very soon. Take care. And bye for now. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.